0: We are going to be in First uh, Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there in the Bible, um, on paper, Bible, phone, whatever you have. Uh, good to see you guys this morning, and um, just beautiful, actually. I love uh, just kind of interacting this morning with the songs of just like triumph and praise to Jesus, and then just this heartfelt, sincere, like, Lord, we need you and we're coming to you. And I love that. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of that in this passage as well. Um, so I'm going to read it and then pray one more time. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, we're going to read together. It says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for um, all that you do through it in our lives as a church, as individual people. Lord, you are um, always gracious. Just think of hebrews when it says that your word is like a it's living and it's active it's like a sword that cuts into our hearts and discerns the intentions of our hearts and our souls lord we we need you to do that constantly and and we ask you to do that again this morning Um, as we look at this passage thank you for it thank you for the truth ground us teach us holy spirit lead us to listen and to speak and to interact with you. We ask in your, your name, Jesus, amen. amen. So we are in this series in 1 Peter that um, we've been joking, Tucker's done two of them so far, it's been like every other week, and so kind of a multitude of voices so far in this series. We've had Ulrich from India, and John Whitaker preaching as well, and uh, I'm here today. Uh, this series called Living Hope in the, in the book of 1 Peter is really taking a look at Peter and his writings to a group of Christians dispersed all across the Roman Empire, specifically in Asia Minor or Turkey as we know it today. And so he is writing to believers that are scattered. And in their being scattered, they are, like many believers of the time, uh, marginalized, minimalized in the culture and the society around them. And that frames a lot of the book. And frames exactly what uh, Tucker preached last week when he told us from 1 Peter 2, 1 to 4, that through the word of God that they received and believed and tasted that God was good, they need to grow in God. Now, you might think that for a persecuted or marginalized people, that's not the right message. You say, hey, let me comfort you. Let me take care of you. Let me help you. But he says, you know, you need to grow. Because In my experience, I don't know about yours, but many times when we are uh, downtrodden or marginalized, the temptation, one of the temptations can be to, to develop a little bit of a pass for ourselves to sin. Uh, or a victim mentality that says, like, actually, because this is happening to me, like, I'm, I'm kind of the point here. And, I, it, you know, I, need, I get to wallow a little bit. And it's amazing because both here in 1 Peter and in the book of James in chapter 1, what you have is encouragements in the midst of suffering to do things like James says, like, count it all joy uh, every time you encounter these trials and sufferings. And, and Peter's exhortation to us that Tucker did last week was, hey, grow. Grow up. Uh, in the Lord, put away things like deceit and slander and malice and hypocrisy and all these things that are, you know, really immaturity. Um, and it, it's interesting because the picture of the things that we need to get rid of in the church is a picture of a kind of broken down house, a dilapidated house, so to speak, that you wouldn't want to be a part of, or an immature person that you wouldn't want to be. And Peter says, like, hey, if you tasted and saw that God is good, you don't want that. But here, in this passage that we read, Peter is saying, I want, to li- I want you to lift your eyes to something better now, something more, something that you are supposed to be, something that you can get a vision for who you are in Christ. Um, it, it makes me wonder, since there's so much temple language in this passage, if Peter was thinking of the time when he and the other disciples were with Jesus at the temple. Maybe you know the story. The story is that they're there on the temple mount, and they're they're seeing all these wonderful things. Mark 13, 1-2, it says, As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, to Jesus, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones! What wonderful buildings! And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So like... Maybe Peter's thinking back, like, man, I remember that, like, just, like, overwhelmed at the temple. And then Jesus said, hey, it's not about these stones. And this idea this week got me thinking a little bit about just the grandeur and the glory of buildings, really. Uh, I don't know if you've seen a building in your life that's just made you go, wow. You know, I've had the um, undeserved privilege Um, just by getting to travel for missions, really, to see some pretty amazing buildings in my life. I I really should have had pictures, I apologize, but uh, things like the Duomo in Florence or the uh, Sagrada Familia in Barcelona or the Notre Dame in in Paris, right before it burned, actually. So I was super thankful I got to see that. And they are these buildings that make you just look at them and say, amazing, wonderful, (laughs) glorious, or even buildings that have functionality, like uh, there's a cathedral in Liverpool where if you are on this side of the cathedral and there's that side over there and there's an arc between it, you can speak in a whisper and it like translates the sound over there. It's amazing, right? So buildings can be pretty marvelous, pretty miraculous. Maybe you've just seen the Idaho Capitol building. It's okay, all right? Um, My wife actually got to see the Idaho Capitol building, go into some secret rooms of the attorney general with her class from the Christian school she teaches at. Um, So that was pretty fun, right? Yeah. So it's pretty actually good if you go to the Idaho Capitol building. And before they put that horrible hotel up in front, like the view from the train depot was amazing. It still is, but like why did they put that hotel there, you know? I don't know. Anyway, all that just to say, buildings can be beautiful in their architecture and in their function and whatever way. And, and so with that, today, I want us to think about that, but draw our eyes and our attention to the building of God's house that we're talking about in First Peter chapter two. And to do that, I want to talk about a few things. First of all, two stones. In 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. It goes on to say in this passage that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. So there's two stones. The first stone is that Jesus is a living stone. second stone, Jesus is the cornerstone. So let's talk about the first for a second. The living stone. Doesn't that sound like an oxymoron, right? That sounds like the opposite of what should be true. Like a stone is dead, it's inanimate, it's hard rock, it's cold, it's numb. It's nothing that you would describe as living, it's the opposite. We actually say the opposite, that as dead as a stone. Well, at least, I don't know if that's a saying, I say that. But what Peter is doing here is taking this temple picture and this idea and tracing a theme that's throughout the Bible, which is Jesus Christ is continually called the rock. He's called the stone. And he's taking the theme he's already developed in chapter 1 and then in in chapter 2 as well, where he said that Jesus is our living hope. And we have new birth through the living word that has been preached to us, the gospel. And so all of this is coming together. And now here he says, like, Jesus is the living stone. Um, It's fundamental and it's basic, but it's important to say that Jesus Christ is a living God, that Christians every year at Easter, if, you would, if you're visiting and you wanna join us on Easter, you're gonna see a big celebration, uh, even bigger than today because we believe that the Bible teaches and historically it's a fact that Jesus Christ was the true and only Messiah, King of Israel, come in humble form, who lived a perfect life, who died a death that he didn't deserve and then rose from the dead in power And that that is historically reliable. And if you are a skeptic here this morning, uh, all I'd say to you is like, please do the work. Look into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason we all got together in this building this morning, the reason we sang, uh, as Tucker likes to say, we had a concert in the morning, which is only Christians do that. Um, The reason we did that is because we believe and we know actually because first peter 1 we have joy inexpressible and full of glory that jesus christ is actually a living god. And so do the work. The evidence is there. Jesus is a true and living god. That's what peter is saying when he says he's a living stone. All over the world you're going to see statues, you're going to see religious pictures of various figures I've went to India one time and I saw a probably I don't even know like 700 foot not maybe it's not that big 300 foot something statue of one of the gods and people were there giving themselves and washing themselves at the foot of this naked man's statue and I just thought like how respectfully how sad that is to be serving a god that can't actually answer or do anything and the bible says that Psalm 115 your gods are are mute they're stone they're they're nothing why would you serve a God like that? And so, really, the first thing to say is that Jesus Christ is a living stone. He has real life, and, in, and apart from Jesus, there is no life. And the point of Jesus is to show us what life is actually like. He, he came, and, and, and so if you want to know what life is, the Bible says there's no life outside of Christ. That's what it looks like. That's what real life is. And that same life gets translated to us. So that's, that's one thing that he's a living stone. And then the other thing which we sang in one of our songs this morning is he's the cornerstone. Um, the cornerstone, and maybe this most of us may know, but in uh, architectural terms of the day and in biblical terms, the cornerstone was that stone that they would set down in the corner of before the corner was there as the corner and built all the stones horizontally and vertically from that stone. And that stone had to be clean, cut, perfect, placed just right so that all the stones placed after it would be in line with it, in measurement with it, and built upon it. That's the cornerstone. And the cornerstone of this temple was 39 feet long, eight feet wide, four feet high, 80 tons, a massive, massive stone. And, uh, If you want a chance to see something similar, I encourage you to go to one of our Israel trips, uh, for example. Like if you go to where the Temple Mount is and you go under this like secret synagogue, so to speak, and you'll find people there. uh, There's massive blocks underneath the Temple Mount that you go and there's people still praying to this day, uh, waiting for Messiah, they think, uh, at at these stones underneath the Temple Mount. And you can find one that they say this is possibly the cornerstone and there's people praying right there. It's an amazing sight. But this tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone. And what that means is that everything in life is built on Jesus for Christians. Now, again, these these are, in one sense, basic concepts, but I have to say them because uh, think about it. Sometimes we don't understand why, as the passage will go on to say people stumble at this, but the reality is we're talking about Jesus, a man who lived in Nazareth, a small town, and then in a small place in Palestine in in the ancient Roman Empire, that somehow this man 2,000 years ago who lived, he is the point and purpose of everything in life, and that's the Christian message. If you're here today, I am not the point of this church. Tucker's not the point of this church. None of you are the point of this church. Jesus Christ is the point of this church. He is the cornerstone. And anything we say or do or measure or live, it comes off of that cut. And we got to fit in with that. He is the foundation. You know, Peter himself who confessed Christ. And maybe people say, well, Peter's the foundation because Jesus said, you're Peter and on this rock I'll build my church. But no, not even Peter. Peter says, look to Jesus. Now, the passage also then reveals this beautiful, powerful identity of Christ as alive, as the foundation. But it goes on to reveal then two destinies. Or two reactions to Jesus. And that's where he says there is a coming to him and there's a rejecting of him. Jesus himself said this, of course, in Matthew 21, verse 44. Jesus said, the one who falls on this stone, speaking of himself, will be broken to pieces. And if it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus pointing out the fact that he is this stone and that if you fall upon him for mercy, come to him for mercy. Yes, you might be broken, but he'll rebuild you if you have the stone fall on you, you'll be crushed without repair. Striking language. And it's repeated here in 1 Peter because... First of all, it says, come to him. Now, I I want to continue my theme of being very basic this morning because I think sometimes it's the basic things in Christ that we need to hear over and over again in the gospel. Listen to just the word, come to him, or literally as you come to him or coming to him. See, Peter's talking to people who's already said are born again by the word of God. He's encouraged them to grow up into maturity. And he says, as you come to him. Now, don't miss that little small statement, that little phrase, as you come to him. Because for those of us who gather like this every single Sunday, which we do in worship and praise and teaching, it can get a little bit um, rote, as they say. We can have a rut, but, but I want you to know that, you know, I, I've been following Jesus for about 30 years now, and I, and I understand that. We, we get in these seasons where, like, hey, I'm just going along with emotions. I'm just living this life. I go to church on Sunday. I go to work on Monday. I do my life, right? This is how we live sometimes. And what Peter is telling us is, no, as you come to him, and I just want to say this morning how important it is, that this activity and your everyday activity, and that your heart and your life, that you're constantly coming to Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, a verse that was instrumental in me coming to Him. Said, "Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavily laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest, and I'll give you peace for your soul." Like think about that. It's a bold claim. How does that happen? Honestly, it just happens by coming to Jesus because he is alive, he's life. And as we come to him, his life is transferred to us. And it's hard to explain, it's hard to articulate, it's hard to understand even, but it's throughout this passage, the coming is related to faith in him and trust in him. And this gospel truth that says you will find your peace and your rest and your hope in Christ isn't a one-time coming, it's a continual coming to Christ over and over again. I mean, I forget this all the time. This is why um, this little black band I've got is a a gift. It's just plastic, but it's a gift. It's it's a good gift. It's actually a really good gift. Habil, our Arabic pastor, gave it to me after their retreat. And um, they had a guest speaker in who works with Muslim background believers in persecuted countries. And gave them this. There's a blue one that has white writing. And it says, pray first on it. And then there's a black one because when they're in countries... Uh, If anyone could read English, they don't want to be able to read, but it says the same, pray first. And for the last three weeks, I've been wearing this bracelet, and it's amazing to me how this simple little reminder is telling me over and over again, hey, why don't you come to Christ about that? Like, you're going to say that? Pray first. You're going to do that? Pray first. You're going to act that way? Pray first. You're going to think that? Pray first. And it's been super helpful. So if you want to eat, buy, buy yourself a band, anyway, if you, if you need to, if you're like me and so forgetful and coming to Christ that you need a physical sign, that might help you a little bit. But that's just an example and just what I've experienced is the reality in so many times of this just uh, help in this exercise of what it means just to come to Christ and release things in the moment, right? And these believers would need that because they were being persecuted all the foundations of their life that they would have normally been built upon in just a regular life, when you're marginalized and as you go on to see the rest of the book, they're they're being in their workplace or if they're married to a non-believer or other things like that that we'll cover, they're being shaken. And he's like, you got to come to Christ. What's your first response when something bad happens? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 would say, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So, what's your first response? Maybe you're going through a trial right now. Is your first response? I got to come to Jesus. I got to come to him. I got to come to him. He is alive. He can do something. He answers prayer. Uh, just yesterday, we were uh, at breakfast, myself and this nice young man Chris uh, Smith here and uh, it was raining and some of the guys from church are putting on this event called the promise in the park and it just uh, we we just sat for a minute at breakfast and of course many other people were praying too but we just sat and we prayed we said Lord Jesus would you please blow this weather out of the way and by God's grace the afternoon went good as far as I think 10 people baptized so praise God for that so Jesus is alive he actually does things; he actually works you've got to come to him if you're tired in serving, come to him. If you're weary and burdened, come to him. If you are, you know, angry and frustrated, come to him. Whatever it is, come to him. So, the other response, though, that we see in this passage is a tragic one. And that response is, of course, the same response that people gave Jesus. And they rejected him. And people are still rejecting Jesus. Um... I don't have the time to go into it as as much as I'd want to, but I will say this. There's three Old Testament texts from Isaiah and Psalms here that say that it was prophesied and predicted that Jesus Christ would be rejected by men, and that was the building plan of God so that he could save his church and his people and then build it up throughout the ages. But nonetheless, those people still are responsible. In fact, if you remember in the story of the gospel, they said, yeah, sure, let his blood be on us and our children for generations. I mean, a bold claim and a rejection of Jesus. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, they looked at Jesus. They said, nope, you're not good enough to be our Messiah. And I find this interesting that 2,000 years ago people did this and they still do this. People will, I mean, think about the reality. They were experiencing that the Jewish religion was run in their temple By an Idumean Herod, it wasn't even their original temple. They were a people in captivity, but they said, "We're going to keep serving what we're serving and reject you, Jesus." And people still do that. Think about the way that people today will serve celebrities with their hearts and their lives, and and just uh, the fashions and the trends of the day, and serve uh, ideas and thoughts that just simply don't work over and over again historically. And the whole time they'll say, "It can't be Jesus." And part of that is because, as I said before, Jesus seems so foolish that somehow a 2,000 year old peasant could do something for my life. And then another reality is that it just is a harsh message in a culture today that doesn't like to be told direct truth. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. The very beginning of Christianity, this is not the message you would think would gain a following, get people all together. But this is what Peter said on the day. He said, Acts chapter 4, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified. I mean, right there. It's like they tell you in preaching not to point at people and say, you, you, you. But it's like Peter said, you crucified Jesus. I mean, straight up. And he says, by him is a standing before you. This man who was healed, this Jesus is the stone was re- that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And listen, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is I don't care what anyone says in the culture, there is no other way to know God, have salvation, have eternal life, have a relationship with God now that's a real relationship with him, except through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the truth that the Bible proclaims countercultural to today. That doesn't mean we don't love people who have different worldviews, but we don't back down and we speak the truth And that is a stumbling block for some. But what I've noticed is that sometimes people stumble on it, Jesus, and they stub their toe and then later they come to realize and they look back and they say, actually, I need to go back there because that is true. So it's better to say it and better to preach it and better to hold fast to the truth of the gospel than it is to yield to our culture and become an indistinct people that don't have a message. So finally, the point of the passage is after First of all, is Jesus, but after Jesus, the cornerstone, this passage shows this beautiful building, as I said. He says, as you come to him a living stone, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to give four identities of the church. He talks about us being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. This is a beautiful picture. This is the picture that the church is supposed to be, that when people think of Calvary Boise or Christians in the Treasure Valley or in our nation, they shouldn't be thinking of that dilapidated old house of hypocrisy and slander and deceit and lying. They should be thinking about this, a people who humbly know their significance, who are secure in their relationship with their maker, a people who do all that they can to show the excellencies and the perfections of this Savior who has power over life and death. And the first thing he does here, like like Paul does in Ephesians, as he mentions, before he gets into how that's going to play out, Chapters 3, 4, 5, he's going to talk about eldership and how that should be a praise to the excellency of Jesus. He's going to talk about um, suffering in your jobs. He's going to talk about your marriages, all of that. But before he does that, he says, first, you, just as the church, being built together, that is the plan of God. There's no plan B. You're living stones. You come to Christ, the life flows from him to you, and then he puts you all together. One of the things I often say is, like, it's not by chance that you're in that seat, in this place, in this church, in that community group, in that part of town. God in his providence is overarching all of this, and he knows exactly where you are, knows exactly what you're connected to. And here's the thing. You shouldn't take it by chance either. God's given you status in this chapter, and he's given you significance. You're important. You're precious. Your life, this is This is so important for our day. Our lives seem so meaningless in all of the distractions, seem so utilitarian in all of the mechanisms of technology. But you are important and significant in the plan of God. You are precious, and I want you to hear that. Everything you do and all the connections in your life are more important than you could possibly think. And I know it doesn't always seem like that in the church. Like, the church often reminds me of, um, you know, when you go to Home Depot, you go, and you're going to do your own building project? You go to Home Depot, and you... Um, look, and there's always those like really wonky boards. It's like, who's gonna buy that? Like, that's kind of weird. Like, and you always try to avoid those ones. The church to me kind of seems like, including myself, by the way, like Jesus went to Home Depot and got all the really wonky boards, and he's just like, I'm gonna make something beautiful <laughs> through this, you know. So we don't feel significant. And as we get more marginalized in our culture, which by the way is nothing in comparison to a lot of cultures all over the world. So if you think you're being marginalized, you're probably not, but nonetheless, even if you feel that way. Um, If we're marginalized in our culture, it's more important to know that, you know, with your own weirdness and your own misshapen stone, and also the way that everyone talks about Christians in the church, and I get tired of that sometimes, but here's the thing. You are actually God's chosen special building piece that he is working with. And we are together. That's more important. This is a call to Christians, even when we don't agree on every theological issue, there's some in this passage, by the way, <laughs> is this double predestination? Like, oh my gosh, um, it, did he destine them for damnation? Some people think that, other people obviously disagree. You know, I'm not going to get into that. I'm saying we're going to have disagreement in theology, we're going to have disagreement in personality, but the reality is we come together, we fit together in the household of God, and he builds us up. But it has to be real. When you build something, you put stone with stone with stone with stone with stone and it actually connects with some grout and it it gets in there and it butts up against each other. You've got to chip away at some stones. This all happens when you build something. And that's important because it's not ethereal. Uh, People love the idea. Like, you go to one of these massive buildings, like man, that's amazing. But those buildings took years and decades to build, sometimes hundreds of years. It took time. So be patient with the church and with each other, and, and just know that like God's chipping away at you and He's chipping away at me, and He's putting us together, and and but don't abandon it because this is God's plan. We like John Whitaker said this. He said we like the idea of love in general. We don't like the idea of loving the people, these people in particular. It's like I don't like these stones, God. Why did you put me here? Well, too bad. It's God's building. He wants you next to that stone. Um, it's also showing us that the reality is this church gathering on Sundays is wonderful. I mean. If you don't like coming here and busting out a concert, you know, if you're more venture, that's fine too, by the way. But like, if you don't li- like, it's fi- Like, coming here is great, but it's not the full point. Um, I got the chance and the privilege to go to a football game. I hadn't been to one in a while. And this football game I went to, like it was just like lit in the sense of like, it just went off. Like people all of a sudden, they had this special ceremony for these guys getting inducted to this ring of honor. And man, all of a sudden, like the lights go out. There's just white lights flashing. People are chanting. And it's like this stone stadium just comes alive. Like, doo doo doo, And it's like, everyone's shouting and yes. And I mean, that's for like, Guys throwing a ball around on the field. (laughs) It's not that important. But it was fun. And then more than that, then you look down and imagine then not just being you in the stands, but you on the field actually playing the game and then hearing that all around you. If you don't like football, just imagine it's a concert, okay? That's fine. But the, the point I'm saying is, like... Sunday worship is an important part of the gathering of God's people, but then it gets into the reality that you're called to be on the field and be in action and be the mission of God for the glory of God actually in life. And you can't do that unless you're connected in some communities with people that actually do it together because you can't do the one another's in the New Testament alone. It's impossible. And some of us are trying to do that and we're lonely or alone and we're, we don't, or we're ineffective It's like the king of Sparta said to somebody one time when he was boasting about the walls of Sparta. The other king said, I don't see any walls. And he said, look at my army. These are my walls. Every man is a brick. That's how this passage is pointing to the church as this building of God. Let me wrap up just kind of walking through quickly some of the identifiers, the other ones that I think are applications of that of us being God's house. First of all, he says we're a chosen race. It's We're genetically now one blood, so to speak. In a society that's more and more fragmented and polarized because of race and things like that what a beautiful thing to say that the bible says we're actually born of one blood from adam and now in christ we are one race so to speak it doesn't mean that our backgrounds and skin colors and beauty in that way is not important but it was it does mean is it becomes less the first priority and then a second priority our first priority is we can show to everybody that actually unlike the fighting and the problems in society we come together as a multi-ethnic people for the glory of God and like a prism a light shines through white black Indian whatever it is like we all shine the glory of God through those stories and we're one together Now you tell me where in society that exists other than the church Sunday should not be a divided day it should be a united day we're a holy nation. We're that's the word ethnos there. We're we're a new ethnic people, not Jew or Gentile. We actually have one story now, it's the Bible story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration in Christ of the living stone. That's our story. That's what we build our lives around. There's no other story that's more important. Your family is important, your family's story is important, but your story is now the story of God. We're a people for his praise. He puts us together in a place to gather and to scatter, to be God's people in large gatherings and in small, to show his glory, to be God's people on God's mission for his glory, and to, that everyone would praise him. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are people praising God because of our church? Are we in this city for the good of the city? Are people in your neighborhood praising God because of your community group? Are you in this neighborhood for the neighborhood? Are people praising God even just in this church because of the relationships we have with one another and say like, man, I see the excellencies of Jesus in you. At the men's retreat, uh, I went up there just on Friday night and Habil, the whole theme was share your stories and then We'll just learn from each other. And that's it reminded me of these living stones being put together. Habil shared his story, which I won't share for you, but I just say this, that it's amazing to me that someone born in Iraq and raised in a completely different environment, his story, I'm just like connecting and it's encouraging me and challenging me. And that's what the church is meant to do. And you can't do that if you're isolated. But in everything to proclaim the excellencies, his story was one of excellence of God's faithfulness over tragedy and suffering what about in your marriage do you proclaim the excellencies of jesus to each other and say like let me show you loving leadership in a way that you've never experienced my queen let me show you working together with you my husband as a leader that i respect and honor and am not a doormat to but actually help and make up where your weaknesses are let's work together because that's the triune God. Do you show the excellencies of God to your children, the patience of God, the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God? Do your kids say, man, I see the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And do, we, do they see that through our community together? Do people at work say, this person does the best work. This is a message for our day. Not to just be the old grumpy guy, but like, man, it's just not the same anymore. Do people have a work ethic? Do you, do you want to work to the glory of God? Do you want to build, so to speak, your own cathedral in your work? It's not because of your boss and how little you get paid or how mean they are, but because I'm going to glorify God and show how excellent Jesus is. Everywhere, at all times, the church, God's people. Are we conscious of that? Our whole purpose for existing is to be together and proclaim his praise. So, as one pastor put it, if you've come to him as a living stone, then go live for him. You're either a missionary or a mission field. You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. You're coming to him and then you're going for him. This is this beautiful passage of the way that God's people is this beautiful building. Based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, to close up, uh, if you're like me, look at verse 10. Because if you're like me, you don't always understand your status in these identities or live like you're that significant. Let me repeat that again God doesn't have a plan B. We're the plan, guys. We either don't live in our statuses and come to Christ, or we don't live in the significance and shine his praise. So verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'm so thankful for this last verse because I need mercy. I hope you recognize today that we have not come to him, we have not shined that light as we should. And here's the great good news of the gospel. He's a merciful God. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Today, as you came, I hope that you're coming to Christ right now, and I hope you realize his mercy is here for you. I hope tomorrow you wake up, Monday morning, his mercy to you. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day, his mercy is to you. And I hope then you say, I can be merciful in the body. As it's measured to me, I'll measure it out. And then I can be merciful to people who are driving all around me or people who are treating me poorly at work or people who have betrayed me or people who have robbed from me. I'm going to be merciful to them because I've been mercied. Even deserve to be a part of this thing. I once wasn't a part of the people, now I'm part of the people. Man, do we take it for granted? You are loved, you are precious, you are chosen if you're a Christian, you are a significant part of God's plan. And God says, Don't you want to shine and don't you want to be that building? I pray that our church would be only about Jesus and only about shining his excellencies and that we'd all take part as the priesthood of believers, everyone doing part, leaders and people all together, and that we would proclaim his praise. Find where you fit in. Get in a community group, Get in a meetup first if you need to. If that's too scary, go to the pickleball meetup. Go to the dirt bike meetup. Find some way to connect. (laughs) Start somewhere. And let's be the people of God he's called us to be, all based on his mercy to us.